This episode is brought to you by Broad Street Publishing. Relationship plus ownership is where transformation comes from. Youth expert Tim Eldred joins us on this episode of the Bold Idea Podcast. Put your faith to work. This is the Bold Idea Podcast with ideas, interviews, and inspiration to bring your bold ideas to life. Here are your hosts, Larry Gates and Armin Nassadi. Welcome to another episode of the Bold Idea Podcast. This is Larry Gates coming at you along with Armin Asadi. Armin the Dream Asadi. Boom. Boom. There you go. The nickname that will never die. <laughs> yeah. We're going to keep that going, aren't we? <laughs> I'm okay with that. I'm okay. <laughs> hey, you know, Armin, we have, for the last dozen episodes, we've been talking to people really about the bold idea and how they can bring their bold idea to life. Mm-hmm. And that's really what this podcast is all about. Right. We're going to change the focus today. And have it not be quite so, let's just say, me-centered. Hmm. <laughs> I don't like that. <laughs> well, I know. Let's get it's used about to it, me. right? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Gee, I thought it was about me. <laughs> That's why you have two hosts on this show. <laughs> so what we want to do, though, is we're going to talk to a guy who's leading an organization about ministering and really ministering to youth. Because, you know, think about it. One of the perhaps boldest ideas that we could adopt for ourselves is how we think about those that are coming behind us and how we can be sensitive to what those needs might be and really maybe see that perhaps they unlock the key to what might be truly a bold idea for ourselves. So in some ways, this is kind of a pay it forward episode. and, And we hope that what you learn from the takeaways here are some things that might help you as it relates to the next generation, the generations that's to come. I think Franklin Roosevelt said it best. We cannot always build the future for our youth, but we can build our youth for the future. Mm. Amen to that. And I can't think really of a better guy that we can have on the program today or mean to, to talk about that, that very thing. And we have with us Tim Eldred. He is the president of Endeavor Ministry, a ministry that's been around, believe it or not, since 1881. If there isn't an organization that can speak about youth, he can probably bring something to the table about that. So welcome to the program, Tim. Well, what a privilege to be here with both of you. Oh yeah. So glad you're here. We've been looking forward to this for a long time. Now I have to ask you a question because I've been looking up a little bit about Endeavor Ministries and I want to know more about that, but that's an organization that's over 130 years old. Not many guys can say that they lead an organization that's that old. You know, I look at sometimes as well, because my wife tells me all the time, you need to shave those white whiskers off. You have not (laughs) been with the organization for 136 years. But no, Larry, it's a, it is an old organization. It's ancient. I mean, 136 years, I guess is ancient, but in the world of youth work. Absolutely. it, It is. I mean, we are considered by historians to be the father of youth ministry and the largest and oldest youth movement that the church has ever seen, and especially in, in modern days. But, you know, it really was the birth, Endeavor or Christian Endeavor, as it originally called, was the birth of youth work. But it's a real privilege to steward it today. Yeah. So so what is Endeavor Ministries and what, what impact is it making right now? What's it doing? Well, when I talk about Endeavor and what it is, what it was and what it's doing, we're trying to blend all that together. Larry, we have, I've been with the organization for 11 years and I was asked by the board of the organization to come in and they said, can you help us rebirth this thing? And I said, oh, 
no, resurrection is not in my bag of tricks. <laughs> but I think we could euthanize it with grace. Uh-huh. We could return to the roots of it, and we could extract the DNA of what God did with it, and we could resurrect it maybe or just launch it again and see what God does with it. Mm. If it dies, we celebrate it. And if he you know, reinvigorates it, then we celebrate it as well. The philosophy of Endeavor was basically real simple. Never do anything for young people in the church they can learn to do for themselves. And that message has been lost. Hmm. And so, I mean, just think about how far that apple is falling away from the proverbial tree when it comes to not just youth work, but in the church of equipping saints for the work of service or preparing saints for service. Sometimes I think that gets relegated to preparing services for saints, and we read that backwards. And so we just returned to the roots of that and said, what would it look like if we returned to the model of how Jesus trained disciples and where youth ministry was born in a church worldwide that is really kind of desperate for what to do with youth? Reintroduce that in a new skin, an old message, but a new wine skin in a way that people could say, hmm, what if? And I tell you, the resurgence of it is we couldn't have orchestrated it. There was a hunger. There was a purity to the message. And we give all credit to the Lord for what he's doing with thousands of churches across the world, considering the idea of youth in ministry and embracing that principle of training young people by never doing anything for them they can learn to do. And yeah. so it's it's really changing people's mindset of how youth work works. Yeah, so listening to you, I'm hearing that it sounds like you're introducing kind of a paradigm shift of how churches think about youth ministry. Am I getting that right? Yeah, it is It is a paradigm shift. And so what's the change in paradigm here? To walk me through. I mean, I hear you say getting them to do things that they should be doing or could, have, could do themselves, I think is what you said. But give well, me an example of that. How have churches not done that in the past? Well, we've hired our work done, Larry. And so in about the 1960s and 70s, especially when youth ministry became a profession, churches would hire an adult to lead a program that was attractive to students to come and participate. But in so many ways, like like much of the church, they began to be spectators of my ministry and adults' ministry to them or for them instead of owners of a ministry or an idea or a dream or, like you say, a bold idea that God has put on their heart. So instead of creating a program, we encourage churches to value process much more than the programmatic elements. Discipleship's a process. So so if a young person has a bent towards music or a bent towards a gift in administration or a passion towards environmentalism or evangelism, or we don't care what God puts on their heart. We assume that created in his image, that what is on your heart that's breaking your heart is breaking the heart of our heavenly father. And he must want you to do something about it. So we train churches to just ask simple questions like, so what's on your heart? So what would you do about it if you had all the freedom and permission to do it? Okay, I got to ask you this because I, I mean, I'm, I'm sorry. There's a cynical part no, no. that comes out and says, well, "What if the answer is video games or what's on my heart?" Because <laughs> I know that's okay. That's like so the central so core for so a lot of kids, so right? So let's take that. All right. So let's just say a young person came to me and said, "I'm just a gamer. Yeah, that's what I love to do. Uh, yeah, 
Right. And I know they've got a young faith, you know, they're in church, and so they've been exposed to Christ, and they're coming. And I said, that's awesome. You know, I'm not much of a gamer myself. Matter of fact, I, you know, I, I don't even think I've ever picked up anything since, you know, like Donkey Kong in 1984. <laughs> but my next question would be, so do you have a lot of friends who game? And do you do that online? You probably wear a headset and use a microphone, don't you? Some of them you know, some of you don't know. How often do you get together? And when you get together, wouldn't that be an amazing opportunity for you in the midst of gaming to just be Jesus to them, to watch what you say and what you do? Did you know that you can use gaming as a real simple mission or ministry and then to begin building relationships? Now, that might just be planting an idea in their head. And I'm not going to jump from, you know what, next time you're doing a game and you've got a <laughs> microphone on, you ought, to, you ought to present the Roman road to yeah, them, yeah, you know? Yeah. And so I take wherever they are. So wherever they're at in their faith. And so some want to reach their school for Jesus, and some just want to be tied to, you know, Arnold Schwarzenegger's whatever that new world of war or something, you know, whatever that might be. And so it's important to stop telling them what should break their heart, what they should do. Oh, you really should spend less time gaming and more time, you know, reading the Bible and start to understand what's on their heart at the moment, what's important to them. So let's celebrate what's important to them through relationship and over time begin to help them see how they can do something with that that's bigger to make a difference and have meaning with their life. Okay, so I get that. You're going to start with the youth and you're going to have them work with what they've got and see how they can use that in a redemptive way, right? It's one, it's one, of, the, it's one of the ways, Larry, but what if they're apathetic? I mean, think about this generation. There is apathy. Mm-hmm. Would you would you agree? Mm-hmm. And so there's a, there's a level of apathy because <laughs> in, some, in some ways we have killed their dreams and taken them like you know crickets and locked them in a jar, poked holes in the lid, and they've got a good view. There's a it's a clear glass jar. We've thrown grass in it. And we've given them some oxygen, but after a few decades of not dreaming, atrophy sets in because you don't use those legs or those wings or those ideas or those imaginations. And the first cousin to atrophy is apathy. Mm-hmm. They go, they go hand in hand. Mm-hmm. So we've got to break through the apathy. If I sent my sons to a basketball practice in high school when they were in school, and they were passionate about it, and at least they had some desire to try to play, and they came home and told me how great practice was sitting in the bleachers watching the coaches drew drills, pretty soon they're not going to show up anymore. But once they have that ball, regardless of how good their skills are and their layup is and their three is and their defense is, their offense is or whatever it might be, once they have those skills and they're beginning to use them and they're feeling good about what they're learning, I no longer have to beg them to go to basketball practice. Or once they are starting to do some kind of ministry, regardless of what it is that they feel good about, I'm no longer begging them to go to church or to youth group or to participate in some activity or event because they have their hands all over it. That's what we're trying to get youth workers and pastors to see is relationship plus ownership is where transformation comes from. But no one wants to be a spectator. Yeah. So earlier you mentioned that you're kind of the shifting the paradigm and you had mentioned you're having the youth do some stuff and not have the church do things that the youth can do, I think is what you're saying. And that the previous paradigm were adults leading all of that for the youth. But you're not advocating getting rid of youth pastors here now, are you? No, I'm not at all. I would advocate that youth pastors wouldn't be near as needed if parents were doing a better job discipling their kids. Okay. But I do think it is a team effort 
in the church. And I hear that. I hear youth workers ask me all the time is, man, this is going to cost me my job because they've hired me to plan and program and polish some kind of presentation that attracts young people. I said, no, they've, they've hired you to equip saints for the work of service. They've hired you to make disciples. You've just been sold a bill of goods that you have to actually polish and make something pretty in order to get young people to attend. Mm-hmm. If you want young people to attend, then don't lead worship. Give guitar lessons. Hmm. Don't put an adult behind the audio and video table. Teach a young person to do it. You don't even have to be the one to teach. Teach a young person to teach. I mean, and everyone gets all paranoid, like, oh, my goodness, if we give kids the Scripture and the opportunity for them to teach their peers, they're going to speak heresy. And my response is, well, welcome to 2,000 years of church history right there. Mm-hmm. You know? Mm-hmm. And second of all, if the gates of hell can't prevail against the church, neither can a seventh grader learning <laughs> to find their place within it, you know? Oh, I don't know. Some seventh graders might defy that scripture, I know, right? I, I know. My wife teaches, my wife has taught seventh grade for, for 29 years. And so I hear it, I hear it every day. So you, you may have a very, very valid point there. Let's peel pastor. this back. We probably have some parents sitting in our audience or sitting in our audience, probably jogging or driving or doing whatever they're doing in our audience. But we probably have some parents that have youth. Yeah. They need, they need some help. They're trying to understand what's going on with their kid. What are some of the challenges? You mentioned apathy before, but what are some of the common challenges that you see in engaging youth today, perhaps to unleash that bold idea that God might be putting in them? Well, one of the biggest issues is confidence and self-image. You know, we get our identity from culture, unfortunately, more than we get our identity from, from Christ knowing that we're sons and daughters of the Most High God, and he has given us birthrights that that can't be taken away. And that's, unfortunately, that can be a foreign concept to students. It's actually a foreign concept to some parents listening. I've had parents and adults and even pastors say to me over the years after that message, like, wow, I've never defined myself as a son of the Most High God or a prince or a princess. That's not how I look at myself. And so when we begin to build young people's esteem, and the greatest way to build someone's esteem is to affirm something they're trying to do. But, you know, we do have, and some of them might be listening, we've got helicopter parents who rescue and save. We've got helicopter youth pastors who rescue and save instead of letting young people try and learn and learn by doing and fail. I'm the youngest of four sons. Mm -hmm. By the time I came along, I'm pretty positive that my dad was done parenting. I was supposed to be Beth. I mean, I'm the hairiest woman you've ever seen, to be honest with you. <laughs> and so by the time I came along, my brothers learned a whole lot of things that I never learned, like sharpening a mower blade, changing the brakes on my car, you know, snaking out a toilet, you name it. You know, some things that would have come in real handy now at my age with my own household and my, my family. And so I remember my dad quite often just going, I got it. I'll take care of it. Just go do your thing. What I really wanted was to spend time with him and to do it with him and to learn to do it with him. But it was just easier. And I'm a parent. I've got a 21 year and 18 year old son. And I've said many times, uh, you know, I don't always practice what I preach. I'll be honest. I've said many times that I'll, I'll just handle it. It was just a week ago that I went downstairs because they're both in college, but they live at home. And I was tidying up the rec room. And they, she just said, when are you going to stop? 
doing for them what they can learn to do themselves. When are there going to be consequences? And then when are you going to celebrate? And when are you going to start doing for your sons what you teach youth workers and parents across the world Hmm. to do? So I'm guilty. And so we have a culture in general that the expectations are kind of low for our young people. And we do a lot for them when we really should be doing it with them in modeling, in mentoring, in training, but we settle for the easier path of just doing it. And it shows with the extended adolescence that we've propagated to like age 30 now, you know? And yet I hear young people constantly saying, I just wish I knew I mattered, Mm. that I could make a difference, that I've got meaning. And so I always say it this way, if you give them a voice, you give them value. But if you don't give them voice, you don't give them a sense of value. And that voice comes sometimes in words, but quite often it comes in actions of letting me try something. And if I do it well, awesome. And if I don't, just pick me up, wipe the dirt off me and let me try it again, would you? Give me a chance to try and fail and try again. Hmm. And I think parents need to hear the same message for their students. And I'm just going to say, I know it's hard. I I know it's hard. And sometimes they don't act like they want to try. And that's part of the apathy coming through. It's also part of the entitlement. Even good Christian homes have entitled students. You know, we've, we've got entitled kids. And it's, it's, it's part of our global culture, to be honest. And it's a lot to overcome. And making this shift to youth and ministry for a church, it's hard. It's the hardest youth work they will ever do. It's the hardest parenting they will ever do. On your blog, Tim, you write, in a very authentic way. And I know authenticity is really important to you just kind of driving down right to the root of the matter. And what I'm wondering about is as youth move into adulthood, do they, do they have fears about what that means that they don't know how to articulate? And part of the reason they don't know how to articulate it is because they haven't seen a level of authenticity from their parents about what that might mean. I'll give you an example. When one of my sons was 22, he was facing a decision and he was asking me, well, what do you think I should do? And I just stopped and I said, I think I'd rather help you think through what your options are. You get to make that decision yourself. And his response to me was (laughs) a little surprising. He said, actually, I just want you to make the decision for me. I don't want to be an adult. I just want to kind of go back to when you you can make those decisions. I'm like, well, welcome to adulthood. That's not what it's about. You know, there is something in there about a fear, I think, about making the wrong choices that sometimes maybe they haven't seen that modeled in a way with their parents, I wonder. I'm not sure if they just haven't seen it modeled or if they haven't had any practice leading up to it. It's like they're thrown into the deep end, Larry. Yeah. There's a great book out there that I highly recommend for anybody to pick up, even though I didn't write it. It's called Raising Adults by Jim Hancock. Mm-hmm. Been printed a couple different times, and it's it's really for any parent listening, any anybody who's influencing students at all listening. It's a great read, and uh, the basic premise is just just is this this. Um, I'm not raising children, I'm raising adults, mm-hmm. and so that begins at a very early stage. And so I'll, I'll give you an example. I'm one of those parents that frustrates other parents because I'm the guy who doesn't buy my kid a car. And um, I'm the guy who doesn't pay my son's way through university. 
I figure by the time they get to the age of making an adult decision or an adult choice, like driving, then I should not rob them of the experience of paying for that. <laughs> so whether they be buying a car, which I always told them they couldn't because I didn't want junk parked in my driveway, they did have to pay for gas. They had to pay at least half of their insurance. I didn't make them pay the um, If I had a girl, she might have been able to afford her whole insurance, but boys under age of 25, they can't. And so they had to work. They would tithe, and then they would put a little bit in their bank account, and then basically, if you want to drive, I get the rest. I told my sons when they began looking at college, and I told them long before college, listen, if you're going to go anyplace locally, I already pay a room and board. It's called a mortgage and a grocery bill. Mm -hmm. And so you are welcome to live here and have room and board taken care of. If you choose to live away from home or on campus, room and board is yours. Mm -hmm. Just like they do have a college fund. And when you graduate college, I'll give it to you because it'll be worth more after you graduate than it is before you, you enter school or while you're, you're paying for school. And their answer was, everyone else buys their kid a car. Everyone else pays for their kids to go to college. And my response is, but I'm not raising children, guys. I'm raising adults, and I'm going to give you a chance to make those adult decisions as you go along. So I've not only tried to model it in my life for them, but I've tried to give them opportunity to wade into it with small, significant steps, like flying a kite. You know, you don't throw the kite in the air and the whole ball of string at once and hope it's going to fly. You have accountability. That string is accountability. It's a give and take, and I let a little bit out along the way as you show me that you can handle the responsibility of getting older, which has helped my sons at least, and I hope parents that I've trained over the years, make a smoother transition into adulthood and make that transition earlier than many of their peers. Tim, I'm kind of curious. I'm going to, I'm going to turn from this conversation a bit, but I've never been a youth pastor, but I constantly get invited to speak in front of youth. And one of the questions I have, and I don't have the answer to this, and I get such a wide variety of answers, and, and most of which are kind of ambiguous and vague, but what are the stickiest topics for youth right now? Like, what are some of the things, if a youth pastor could speak on something, like, what would you think are the top three topics that they could touch on that would impact youth the most? I mean, that's real simple. Sex and the end times, and is there sex in the end times? <laughs> I've heard that before, yeah. <laughs> I, I'm 47 years old. I still want to know the answer to that. That's a great, that's, that's a great question. We teach on a lot of topical issues, social issues, cultural issues. One of the biggest issues right now, and it's a cultural issue, is the issue of bullying. And there's not a room you will talk to, whether you're in a room of 12 or a room of 12,000, I mean, where young people don't know somebody who is being put down, being harassed, just feels like they don't fit in which is really sad, you know, that all young people should know they already belong, but they don't. So they, they fake it and they fit in and they pose. And so we, we have a, a resource at Endeavor. It's called Waves. And we ask young people to tell us all the time, what is the number one topic on your heart? So I guess to answer the question, and what we hear back is bullying and teen suicide, 60 plus percent of the time, that is the answer. 
I would answer your question with a question. And I think sometimes we, we don't do that. We don't ask the question, so what is the number one topic that you guys would really love to discuss? I don't know if it's because we think we're supposed to have the answers or we're afraid of their answer of what they want us to talk about. But, I mean, the buzz, the buzz outside of bullying and suicide and trafficking, sexuality, that, that there's a lot of curiosity on the bisexual and the transgender issue and how do we love and how do we care for our peers and how do we do that with or without judgment depending on what side of the issue they fall on how do we make room in a safe place for no matter what a adolescent is struggling with to give them a place to belong so the theme running through those topics is we have a generation that really has a lot of compassion. And so that's a very practical, those are all very practical faith issues that teach them how to express their faith in Christ to their peers and give them, again, give them a mission and give them a ministry and give them the tools to make their faith real and relevant. Not just because they may be dealing with the question themselves, but they definitely know that one of their friends or classmates is struggling. And so I don't deal with a lot of theological issues when I work with students and speak to students. I deal with a lot of issues of, like I said, you matter. Mm -hmm. Your friends matter. How do you help them feel like they matter? How do you know when you matter? How to make you feel, I matter, I'm significant, I have, I have meaning. That will get any room's attention, in my opinion, because most young people, going back to one of Larry's questions, are dealing with this issue of self-image or self-worth or confidence, which equates to a lack of courage to step out and try something new because they're afraid of the result. They've done it before or they've seen somebody do it before, and they don't want to go through the same humiliation and failure. We need to build that bridge and build that confidence in their life. Yeah, now you've written a series of books to equip youth in their walk and and to take them into that, right? The Begin 21, Pray 21, Tell 21. Talk about yeah. those for a minute. Well, back in 2006, I had just come back from a, a trip of training students and training youth workers in, in Nigeria. And I had been speaking this youth in ministry message and equipping youth message. And um, I came home very frustrated because sometimes uh, it felt like I had to go to a developing country for people to go, that makes so much sense. And I felt like I was shooting rubber bullets at the wall in developed countries and especially in our own country in the U.S. I came home and I just told God, I don't know what to say anymore. And I was just pleading with him almost in tears and, and I had a tough time believing this was God, but what I heard was, shut up. Now, <laughs> I would have got slapped for saying shut up, you know, so I knew that that couldn't be God because I'm pretty sure that was a sin to say shut up. But I'm, I'm positive that I heard the voice of God just say, stop talking <laughs> and start praying with youth. Hmm. And so the first book in the series, which was originally piloted as Pray With Youth, became a book called Pray 21, 21 Days of Discovering Your Identity in Jesus by taking young people and an adult mentor 
that they choose, which immediately empowers them to make a decision that's significant. You know, quite often we do that. We choose volunteers or mentors or people for our students to rub shoulders with and associate with. And I get that because we want to protect them. But if we would ask differently and say, so what kind of qualities would you look for in a person who would actually spend time with you and share their life in Christ with you? What would that look like? Who would that look like? And pretty soon they have a really short list of qualifications and a short list of people. And my response would be, why don't you go ask them to be your prayer partner for 21 days? We chose 21 because it takes 21 days to form a habit. Also out of Daniel chapter 10, it talks about how Daniel prayed and it took 21 days for God's angels to show up, you know, and he says, hey, I, I heard you begin praying three weeks ago, but I've been fought at every turn to get here. So 21 days to break through gotcha. in prayer and life and habits. And um, that book is written on 21 questions Jesus asked his disciples. Like, how many loaves do you have, Larry? Haven't I handpicked you, Armin? Do you really believe I can do this? I mean, those questions that Jesus asked, and I prescribe to the idea that Christ's disciples were teenagers. Eleven of the twelve, at least, were under the age of 20. And historically, rabbinically, culturally, I love to have that debate. Pretty simple to, to prove. But those same questions Jesus asked his disciples, they are relevant and germane to this generation. Mm. You know, haven't I handpicked you? I mean, just to have a student hear that question. Here, I've got a question that Jesus asked some teenagers 2,000 years ago that I think he's asking you right now, hey, haven't I handpicked you? Didn't I choose you? Mm-hmm. And if I did, what, what, what does that matter? Is that significant? And how does that make you feel about yourself that Christ would actually intentionally not pick you last for dodgeball? This is the Bold Idea Podcast. He is admired or ridiculed, embraced or rejected. If you want to provoke controversy, just mention his name, Jesus. So how would Jesus respond to our politically correct culture? Find answers, provocative and practical, in the new book, The Politically Incorrect Jesus, Living Boldly in a Culture of Unbelief. Radio veteran Joe Battaglia exposes the intellectual dishonesty of our politically correct culture and suggests how a person of faith can respond to divisive issues without joining the culture war. The Politically Incorrect Jesus. Get it at retail and online. Speaking of questions, there's a question from your Begin 21 book. It says, ask your mentor about how God's plan have become a reality in their life. If you were their mentor, how would you answer that question for yourself? Oh, you know, this wasn't scripted. What were you thinking about? You know, um, that's a great question. <laughs> if a young person asked me, how has God made himself known in my life? You know, first of all, the good news is I don't have a pat answer for that. And I think it's good not to have a pat answer when I'm working with students, because going back to Larry's word of authenticity, or I, I really love the word transparency, my answer to them is I'm still learning that God's working in my life. And just to be transparent, you know, there are times that I wake up at my age and I look in the mirror and I come to my office and I get in a plane or I work with a staff or I consult with a church and I wonder, is this real? Hmm. God, are you, do I really hear you? 
do I believe as much as I say I believe? And so for me to tell a student, you know, I have doubts some days about my faith. People would say, whoa, 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 just a minute. You lead an international organization that serves 3 million kids and you have doubts about your faith? Yes, yeah, some days. And then other days, God reassures me all the time through my quiet time with him, through time in his word, and just time spending alone and pondering who he's made me and what he's brought me through and looking back at all these situations in my life that his hand is on me. And I don't have to be that 16-year-old looking in a mirror 30 years later and um, wonder who I am. Mm. And yet some days, some days I do. And, and while that doesn't sound like some great doctrinal you know, discussion, the truth is that probably is going to have a little bit more impact in a 14-year-old's life who's dealing with issues than talking to an adult, oh, another adult's got all the answers, you got it all together, great. <laughs> I'm not sure that students really want me to have it all together as they want to know that I've got my own problems, but I'm willing to get in the mud with them and wrestle. And so that's how I'd answer that question, I mean. I love that. It's real, it's raw, it's vulnerable, it's authentic, and I think that's what most youth actually attach to and cling on to. So I really like that. This is my last question and then we got to wrap up. But as a very, very curious parent, because I've just obviously become a dad not more than 20 months ago, and I know absolutely nothing still about parenting. One of the questions that I have, especially since we started this podcast, is how do I as a parent or other parents that are listening, how do we inspire our children to have bold ideas and pursue bold ideas that they come up with? Well, 385 times in Scripture, Jesus was asked a question. And from what I've been able to find in research, 381 times he answered their question with a question. Hmm. Or he told a story. Four times he gave a direct answer, and three of those were on the night of his crucifixion. One of the things I do with my sons is I ask a lot more questions than I give answers. And I'm still doing it with them. My 21-year-old is a semester away from graduating. What I've learned is, first of all, he is so different than me. He's like his mother. He's analytical, and he drives me crazy. You know, <laughs> And my youngest is just like me, and we drive both of them crazy. And so as a dad, the first thing that I would encourage you to do is to make as much time for them as possible. Nothing speaks louder than time. I am such a hypocrite right now on this podcast. I spend 120 days a year in an airplane. I've been able to take my sons all across the world. And when I come home, I like to pretend that I'm home, but my mind is constantly wandering. And I have to remind myself, and conversations and questions like this make me remind myself that I need to leave this laptop in the office tonight I need to go home and I would need to watch the Michigan-Michigan State game with my sons. Mm. And in the midst of that, and when I really would much rather, I mean, I'm just being honest, I really would, I gotta, I'm got. i in the middle of a couple books I'd like to go home and read because I, I don't have to go anywhere until next week. But I know that both my sons will be home by 9 o'clock to watch that ball game. And the most important thing Dad can do is go down and plop down on the couch and sit down with them and devour a bag of Doritos and watch that game. And somewhere in the midst of that tonight, I will be intentional about not just asking about their day, 
but how they feel about something going on in their life or something going on in the world. And when they give me, and it's like, I tell you, the same the same answer, I mean, for your kids is the same answer I have to give for me for my time with my wife. When they tell me what they think, I don't need to correct it. I don't need to necessarily even speak into it. What I need to do is say, I really appreciate you sharing. I, I just want to affirm, I don't even want to use those words, but I want to affirm that they have a voice and dad was willing to listen to it and you can't shock me. Hmm. And, and your opinion is important to me. And even if I think you are off base, I don't have to correct you right then. I'll still parent you. I may ask you, though, another question. And that's what I love about Jesus. When he was asked a question, he asked a question in return, mm-hmm. and which usually prompted another question. And about the fourth and fifth you know, series of questions, Jesus was still asking questions when, as a parent, I always want to give answers. As a husband, I want to give answers. But as a leader who wants to influence my sons and influence a generation and influence the people listening, I would just tell you a good leader asks great questions much more than they give answers. Oh, that's great. That's great. Well, I know we could ask you a lot more questions because we're dealing with a topic that is vitally important. I mean, the the next generation and what they do and how they live for the Lord is is vital. But we do have to cut it short here. Would like to, though, ask you one final question, which is our listeners. How can they find out more about you, Endeavor Ministries, and what you're all about? Well, you can always check out anything in my life is at Timothy Eldred all social media, and I post a lot and give a lot of information and resources away, either online, on social media, or at timothyeldred.com. The books you talked about earlier, the the 21 series of discipleship and young leader series, it's all at endeavorresources.org, and that's a great place to go and put tools in the hands of your students, the students of your church, coworkers, people you manage, I don't write books just for teens. I write books that anyone can pick up and say, that's where I'm at in my faith. And so EndeavorResources.org or TimothyEldred.org, and if they're looking for training, if you're in youth work, we just launched a brand new site that we're very excited about because the name of it is the job description of a parent or a youth worker or a pastor. It's called youequip.org. The name tells everything we need to know. So. If That's you want to erase your whole job, job description and just write down you equip and keep that in mind, it'll change the way you parent. It'll mm-hmm. change the way you serve. It'll change the way you manage people. Uh, that's great. We'll put links to all of those resources in our show notes as well. But Tim, I want to thank you for taking the time to be with us on the Bold Idea podcast and having us rethink about how to raise up and equip the youth that are amongst us. Well, again, what an honor for me. And so anytime I can get an audience, I love to hear myself speak, Larry. So I I, I will be listening to this podcast. (laughs) And share it with your mom. (laughs) (laughs) That's right. My number one fan. All right. Thanks again, Tim. Thank you, guys. Well, Armin, let's unpack what we just heard from Tim Eldred. Well, there's a lot to unpack. Where do you want to start? (laughs) Because you already have kids that are past the teenage years, too. I do. I do. And, you know, I think there's, there's a couple of themes that came out of here that, that I loved. One was that he took an organization and had to identify the DNA of it and really bring out 
what was essential out of that DNA. Right. And it really reminded me about what he did there was really revitalization. I mean, he took the the vital parts of something and said, this is the this is the piece that we need to focus on. And I think oftentimes in ministry or even in business, the organization can get so barnacleized. You know, it's like all these things attaching themselves to the boat right. that that's become part of the boat. And we don't realize, no, there's some value that you can bring by just saying, let's strip this back as old as an organization as that was. It takes a lot of courage. In fact, it's a bold idea to say, look, we have to take this back to the fundamental pieces of its DNA and forget all the other stuff that's been barnacleizing this thing over, right. over many years. So I appreciated that about it. We didn't really talk much about it, but I got a sense that there was a lot of work there. Yeah. It's almost this strategy of, hey, let's, let's make them ministers and stop just ministering to them. Oh, Absolutely. Yeah, and that was the second piece really is the whole what I what he described as kind of a paradigm shift, a new paradigm for youth ministry. Let's not try to entertain them, let's not try to make things easy for them, let's let them own it. Right. And you know, it seems natural enough. I mean, it seems like you would want ownership in youth ministry to be right. by the youth. You know, it's almost a reformation thought, you know. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. And the idea that there is a difference between enabling and empowering, right? I love that he makes the distinction about those two terms. Yeah. In many ways, the way I kind of think about it is what you enable, you disable. Right. Because you give them this excuse to not do something. And then they become entitled. I think there was a word he described. And so getting them to work on and get what they need to get done and have ownership for it. Right. Well, that's, that's a huge... That's a huge paradigm shift for probably a number of churches. And if you think about it, my generation has probably gotten some of the most funded, biggest events, youth ministry type conferences and so on and so forth, right? But what's one term that millennials get called all the time? Entitled. Entitled. Right? But... He's speaking directly to that, you know, maybe we are entitled, but maybe it's a mentality that we've adopted because we expect everyone to do things for us yeah, or and, whatever it and, might and be. And maybe the older generation among us has, has contributed to that entitlement right. as he's suggesting. And having them have that ownership is, is really, I think, a vital part perhaps to revitalizing your own ministry. Now that that's not only true in a church, but it's also true in your home. Right. You know, if you're parenting kids, a bold idea might be don't do something for them that they can do for themselves. Yeah. And we do enable our kids so many ways because in many ways it's because it's, it's easier for us. You know, we don't have to fight with them about something. Yeah. What is that saying? It's an American saying, the path of least resistance. Yeah. Okay. We take the path of least resistance. I'm such an like, American. I love it. You pass me the, uh, <laughs> Pass me the remote control. Yeah. <laughs> we take the escalator up to the workout facility. That's right. <laughs> well, you know, one of the things that he pointed out about the needs that youth have today is to hear the words, you matter. Yeah. And it strikes me that that's not just among youth. I think that's perpetual for the rest of our lives that Great. we all want to hear you matter. Now, especially true for kids, I think it, that they need to hear that. But I don't think that that ever goes away. Mm. And I remember one time, Armin and I went to a Chinese restaurant and I got a fortune cookie. You know, I tend to open these up and, you know, laugh at them or whatever, or set them aside. But this one actually struck me. In fact, I think I may still have it somewhere. Uh-huh. And it says, Someone you know believes in you. 
And I actually felt like it was true there for a moment, you know, and I actually kind of like, Hey, I, I felt my spirit rise up. Could this be true? Could some? And then I realized, no, nobody. Really it's a fortune, of course. It's no, true. Nobody really believes in me. <laughs> oh, sad. That took a sad turn. <laughs> you know, the other thing to add to what you were just saying is what Tim said when he said the best way to build a young person's esteem is to encourage and uplift them, right? And there's mm-hmm. there's that proverb. I think sixteen twenty four says, "Pleasant words are a honeycomb, sweet to the soul and healing to the bones." And I. Much like you, I grew up in a way that encouragement was not the motivation, right? It's point out your weakness, point out your faults, point out where you're falling short. Why are you not the best? Be compared to everyone else. Why aren't you a doctor? Why aren't you an engineer? And it's like a shame tactic, right? Yep. So when you hear something over and over and over again, and that's the motivation is this weird shame-based negative Mm -hmm. comments, you eventually just believe you suck at life mm-hmm. like it, you you don't believe that you're going to go out there conquer the world and create radical heart surgery procedures that are going to revolutionize the cath lab procedures or whatever it, you just believe that you suck at life right and so what he's saying there i i wholeheartedly do believe and that's why even to this day when i get a compliment i'm terrible at receiving a compliment because it's hard for me to accept what you're saying is true, right? Right. But it's taken so much time. And that's why I would even say my Christian faith has been so fundamental to me because it's walking into the Christian faith. It is a faith that is based on encouragement. It is based on edifying. It is based on exhorting one another. And I think it's been redemptive to me. I've been able to find my identity, not just in God, but like, being able to accept who I am. So hearing him say that and me having that had the opposite experience growing up, I can say that is one of the most profound things that we can do for our children. And one of the things that he said on top of that, that I think is going to change the way I parent is he said, hear them when they talk to you, don't correct them, ask questions, don't show shock, don't give answers. And that's the only way to truly influence them. Basically, everything he said don't do is what I would probably do. And the one thing he said to do is the one thing I probably wouldn't do. You know, it's just counterintuitive, but it feels like it's so on point, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's good. That's all all, all good. Well, listen, this is probably a good debrief of what we've picked up. But, mean, we've got listeners out there that have probably picked up a number of different things themselves. Right. I'd love to hear from them. Wouldn't you? Yeah, absolutely. I feel like I need to know someone agrees with me so I can feel better about myself. Yeah. Well, you did kind of remind me of that despair.com picture of the upended ship in the ocean that said failure. Could it be that your life is only there to serve as a warning for others? <laughs> That's terrible. I receive it. Though. Sorry. <laughs> Yeah, well, we know that that that's not true for you. Well, we'd love to hear from you about what you've picked up from this episode. Go to boldideapodcast.com slash one three and leave us a comment or call our show line at 612-568-IDEA. That's 612-568-4332. We'd love to hear from you. And until next time, this is Larry Gates. And Armin Asadi. Saying so long. You've been listening to the Bold Idea Podcast. To get our show notes sent to your inbox, visit boldideapodcast.com.